You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. There's your lack of demand pool, and I fully expect deflationary trends to kick in. You're seeing the spike, and now that sugar high that we've had from the most significant inflation in money printing in history is starting to wear off. And the key thing is, I'll ask ourselves and our listeners and our readers this, just picture a little bit of a 10% correction in the stock market normal, and then we stay down for a while. What does that do for everything? The trickle down is phenomenal versus the market's completely been so used to a stock market going up, it's going to find out deflationary trends are much more significant. Thanks for tuning into Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. And joining me today is Bloomberg commodity strategist, Mike McGlone. Mike, thanks for coming on the show again today. And our politicians, including our president and the Federal Reserve, are telling us that inflation is transitory. Do you believe this argument? And what's your assessment about the inflation deflation debate going on? Oh, uh, Bill, completely. I hate to be, um, I'm basically a contrarian in life, but I think the biggest trend in markets are deflationary. And the timestamp, we're on July 19th, we're finally seeing a correction in the stock market. Crude oil is down 8%. And to me, that's just meh. It's more of the same. Crude oil has just got way too expensive, about 75. Now it's below 66 in WTI. And guess what? 75 was half the price of 2008. And tell me what's inflationary about that. (laughs) Then you look at money supply over that same period from 2008 to now, it's up 130%. So we're just going back to deflationary trends. And there's one primary force that needs to go up for any form of inflation. That's the stock market has to continue advancing. And if we just start beginning the first 10% correction in the S&P 500 since the bottom 2020, then I fully expect WTI to go towards 50 30-year bond yields have finally dropped below 2%. That was a key signal in the past. I expect them to go towards 1%. And guess what's not profound about that? That's just following the trend of the last 40 years and following the rest of the world. So when I go shopping, I, I went to a restaurant, let me tell you, recently. And on the menu, this, this dish said 53 bucks. I went to pay for it. He said 62 I said, that's not what it says in the, the menu right before me. He said, sir, that's what our price is right now. You know, the yeah. menus aren't even keeping up with some prices at restaurants. How can you tell me it's a deflationary across the board, though? Well, there's a difference between wholesale and resale. And right now, there's been a, a, a historic event that happened that cut back on supply of restaurants and other things and some of the the in the network to get that food there so it starts with the world's most significant commodity in terms of agriculture measure on the world uh, measured in terms of dollar value metric terms corn corn is at the moment up 14 percent a year at five bucks at the same price it's 2008 that's 13 years ago and it's peaked this year around 700 it was up 50 percent coming back so this year underlying basic commodity market. Now look at soybeans. Soybeans at 13 bucks at the same price as almost 10 years ago. It's up only 4% on the year. Look at lumber. Lumber was up 120%. I look at my screens now, it's down 22%. So yes, you're seeing that initial reaction to the most significant event of our lifetimes, completely shut down economies, crushed these businesses, destroyed some of that supply, but expect supply elasticity and free markets to kick in. And most notably because rapidly advancing technologies. So I'll leave you with this. Look at the crude oil. Total consumption of liquid fuels in this country is about 20 million barrels a day. Well, it was before COVID, it was around 20. Now it's down to around 19. That's the same as 20 years ago. Yet everything has increased. Stock market, demand, everything. And why? And, why? and GDP, because it's more efficiency. Look at that 10 years from now. It's going to be all EVs. 
We just don't need as much as anymore. And populations are changing. So there's your lack of demand pool. And I fully expect deflationary trends to kick in. You're seeing the spike. And now that sugar high that we've had from the most significant inflation and money printing in history is starting to wear off. And the key thing is, I'll ask ourselves and our listeners and our readers this, just picture a little bit of a 10% correction in the stock market normal. And then we stay down for a while. What does that do for everything? The trickle down is phenomenal versus the market's completely been so used to a stock market going up, it's going to find out deflationary trends are much more significant. And that's not very profound. It's following things like one of my favorite books was um, The Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth, pointing out the significant deflationary trends. I just point out commodities. In a deflationary environment where the stock market is turning over, what does the Federal Reserve do with interest rates, in your opinion? Well, we know the answer to that. There's only one thing a baby can do when it cries. It's just so true. There's only one thing the Fed can do, and that's to print more. And that's what exactly is going to happen. It's not just the Fed. It's every central bank on the planet. What just happened in China? They just cut rates. Now, here's a key fact about the cut of reserve rate in China. There's never been uh, the correlation between lower commodity prices and lower reserve um, rate in China is very high. In fact, the first time they cut rates, they haven't done anything but raise rates. Uh, the first time they cut rates in 2011 it was right around the peak of the Bloomberg Commodity Index and right around the peak of commodities. Now they're doing it again. Why? Because there's a problem. Free market capitalism is not running free in that country. There's no way they can have the that kind of um, uh, information you get from free markets we have here. So I see every central bank in the world continuing to do it. I, I started trading JGB, uh, JGBs, Japanese government bonds, in the late 90s, and everybody told me the same thing. I'm short, I'm happy. And then they went to zero, and then Germany went to zero. A lot of the rest of the world's gone to zero yields. And what's going to stop the U.S. from doing that? I don't know. The trend's that way, going to zero. And what's the key catalyst? The next bear market in the U.S. stock market. I'm not predicting. I'm just pointing out if or when we get a bear market and stock market means man, it stays down, doesn't go make a new high for at least a year. I mean, in the old days, you say go down 20% and stays down. But no, remember, it's different this time. So that to me is the key catalyst that we're going to get negative yields in this country. And we're going to just get more and more fiscal monetary stimulus to hold it up. FPX Nickel is developing the large-scale Dakar Nickel District in central British Columbia. Within the district is FPX Nickel's PEA stage Baptiste Nickel Deposit, which is projected to be among the world's top 10 largest nickel mines by annual output. The Baptiste Deposit has the potential for the lowest quartile operating costs at just $2.74 per pound. And compared to recent global nickel mines, the project requires a low capex. FPX is also commencing its first-ever drill program at its van target in the Dakar Nickel District. Surface samples have indicated that the van target footprint is larger in scale and 10 to 15% higher in grade than Baptiste. FPX Nickel trades in Canada as FPX and on the OTC under FPOCF. To learn more, go to fpxnickel.com. That's fpxnickel.com. In terms of electrical vehicle adoption in the States, in 10 years, what's your penetration estimate? Don't know exact number, but I look for BNF, Bloomberg New Energy Finance. And I love the concave shape of that cur uh, curve. And I just look at it. Every I drive an EV. I bought mine um, like seven years ago. It's the best vehicle I've ever had. I drive a poor man's Tesla, Chevy Volt. So I've got experience. I've got solar panels, got experience in space. And it's some of the best technologies cost effectively I've ever seen that are becoming, as Kathy Wood said, the average EV in this country is going to be cheaper than internal combustion in five years. What does that do for simple supply and demand um, economics. And then you realize your cost of 
usage and driving for miles is just a fraction of what internal combustion engine is. That's what I have with my EV yet. I have, it's kind of a plug-in hybrid. So to me, it's just a matter of time and rapidly advancing technology. And the big difference, and I'll end on this compared to last administration, they pushed back on these natural organic trends and rapidly advancing technology, pressuring prices and advancing the human, um, human condition. This current in, in condition is pushing forward on it. So EV penetration, just a matter of time, EV owner here. I'm not, you know, love Teslas, but there's range anxiety. It's not part of the current infrastructure, but it's getting there. It's getting there a lot faster than most people predict. When you look over the metals sector, would one of your most bullish uh, commodities that you'd look for be like a nickel or a copper? Gold. Gold. And why? Because you're a Bitcoin bull. Uh, well, gold and Bitcoin. Like, so first of all, I'm, I'm bullish to me. And I'll we'll just put this clear. Uh, my clear outlook for the second half of 2021 uh, was gold, Bitcoin, and long bonds should be outperforming. Right now, it's um, long bonds are the leader. I fully expect them to continue. Um, I don't see a lot of upside. Um, I'm fully fearful that copper peaked at $10,000 um, a ton. And I'm afraid it's going to do what nickel did. Remember, nickel peaked, peaked around 45000 I see it 18 on my screen at the moment. My commodity strategists in London who dig in deeply, supply and demand, tell me it's too easy to come up with supply. Now, everybody gets that narrative. I agree with it. Copper has to lead all commodities if commodities are going up, because to me, it has the most highest potential for typical supply demand commodities of rally, but this is not the typical world. If the stock market does not go up, copper will not go up with the highest correlation in the history of our database since 1960. Just that's all that matters now. Supply and demand does not matter if the stock market is going down. And that's key, what we're looking at right now. So we have to get past that bleeding for me to get bullish on copper. And S&Ps need a decent correction. So I got bullish in copper right around 700 last year when it showed divergent strength versus, versus the stock market. And now I look at the primary commodity that has the most potential upside in 2Q is the one that was a worse performer one in 1H. I'm sorry, in 2H, the best performer in 2H is the one that had the worst performer in 1H, and that's gold. And you just look at the fundamentals. First of all, the trend. Gold's been going up for almost forever in terms of dollar value, and certainly the last 20 years. And then I look at trends, QE, continuing to increase, debt to GDP increasing, and we just complete, and it's had a decent correction within a bull market. And that's the way I see Bitcoin, decent correction within a, a during bull market, gold, a decent correction within the bull market, copper may have peaked, crude oil clearly probably has peaked, lumber is probably peaked, soybeans peaked, corn is probably peaked, gold, just continue what you're doing, doing. So I like to, I'll end with this. To me, for people who are bearish gold, why should it stop doing what it's been doing for most of its history in last years, particularly in this period of money printing, which is the highest in most in history when, yes, yeah, measured in dollars in, in the US, but dollars measured versus other countries and they're all legal 10, they're all doing the same thing. They're not backed on anything but printing money in their government. Do you think that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have put a little bit of damper on gold's uh, luster though in the past year? Oh, sure. Well, that's the key thing about it is there's been major outflows in gold and inflows in Bitcoin. Now, that's someone that's reverting back. But that's the way I look at it now. I can't take I can't suggest risking one or the other. Let's be diversified in a gold bucket. Now, if you passed investing in gold in the past, you have to have some Bitcoin. Why take the risk? <laughs> Anybody who's naysayed Bitcoin in the last 10 years looks like an idiot. So why take that risk? Just add one, 2% and, and bite the bullet and say, thank you. I'm not going to worry about one and 2%. And if it continues to do what it's been doing, this digital version of gold and the world going digital will just do what it's been doing, continue to appreciate. But I also view gold as attractive. It's just the old fart and you know, it's the old analog. And I mean, I just don't, I'm bullish both. And for QH, 2H, I, I look at bonds, 
gold and Bitcoin is probably the best upside. And I've been waiting for a correction in crude oil forever. I got a little bit too bearish too early, but down 8% in one day is usually how it works up, up on the uh, escalator, down on the elevator. It's got to make it as painful as possible sometimes. But I think the big picture is gold, Bitcoin, and long bonds and all the other, anything that's you know industrial metal related, like copper, stock market has to go up. It's and just, silver it, for industrial and monetary reasons? Yeah, that's it. Silver's in the middle. I mean, I like silver. I, I do, but it's stuck kind of with copper. It's not gold. And we know why it is. It's, in, it's kind of stuck in the middle. So I'm a little bit indifferent about silver, but I like, I don't hate silver. I like silver. It just, it's less correlated to the stock market, um, which is good. It's more, it's actually, you know, 50% industrial now. So it's almost 50% correlated to copper and um, gold. It just doesn't have the underpinnings that gold and Bitcoin have. And last commodity, aluminum. We use it in cars and uh, all throughout, you know, in a booming economy. What's your opinion on alu aluminum right now? Not much. I think it's going to follow the macro with copper and industrial metals a little bit overdone um, in the macro and follow yields lower. I just have not between you and me. I've always been able to get good sense for copper, but not a good sense for the outlook for, for aluminum. It's just less uh, predictable from my, my standpoint. Excellent. Well, Mike, I know you're a busy man. I caught you while you're at work. So thank you for coming on my show today and contributing to my show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to next time. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. 
If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.